All right, praise the Lord. Psalm 65. Psalm 65. Amen. Psalm 65. And there's a little passage that you might read and go, well, how does that lead to anything? But it does. And uh, it just give me a few minutes and we'll develop it and we won't take very long on it. But it's a great devotional thought. And I feel like it's one of those things that, for me, it helps me periodically to do that. <clears throat> We're in April now, second quarter of another year. And, of course, <clears throat> another year is that uh, we got to deal with things. Another year of whatever. And, and sometimes, sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed it, but the years can fly by. And yet the days and hours can sometimes feel like a long time. It's been a long week, a lot of different stuff and duties to take care of and that kind of thing. And in Psalm 65, uh, just through reading this week, it's a, it's a really good Psalm, all, all of them are, of course. But there's a picture here and it starts in about, oh, let's try verse 8. And he says, they also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and evening to rejoice. Okay, now watch. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. So favorable weather is a gift from God. Don't ever forget that. Uh, some places had quite a bit of rain, and I know sometimes it leads to flooding, but you need rain. You need the water table filled up. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. So when you plow the earth and prepare it and put the seed in the ground and God sends the rain, he's doing his part. Verse 10, thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly, thou settlest the furrows thereof, thou makest it soft with showers, thou blessest the springing thereof, thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. Now, verse 13, ready? The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. And I want to try to get you for a minute to go with me into this picture, to picture a pasture filled with, clothed with flocks. Now you might be maybe, you know, a typical, which is not wrong, nothing bad, typical city type person. And, and you've never actually seen much, maybe on TV or whatever, you haven't done much travel and it doesn't get your attention when you pass a pasture with livestock in it. And that's what he's talking about here. The flocks could be cattle, could be sheep, could be other critters, you know, other creatures. But the picture is the pastures are clothed with flocks. So it's a field, a pasture, could be small, large, whatever. But it's not just sitting there dormant. It's clothed with flocks. And then there's valleys that are covered over with corn. Corn in your King James Bible can be wheat. It could be corn like you think of, grows on the ear. It's grain. 
But there's a reason it's called corn if you go back and study your English language and the idea of the word corn and kernel and that sort of thing. So the picture is that land has a purpose in God's mind. And I was reading this uh, just a few days ago and, and, I, and it just hit me that we should ask ourselves, are we given the value test to things? For example, the pastures are clothed with flocks and the valleys are covered with corn. The flocks and the use of that pasture and the corn and the use of that valley is what is the value test. What value is that piece of land? You say, well, you know, we've got in, in the United States, for example, we have national parks, they call them. Uh, there's other terms they use when people put it on. I mean, they, they've taken land and they give it a global value, okay? World heritage and all that, which is another whole story politically. The point is, if you've been, for example, been to the Grand Canyon, that's a big old hole in the ground. It's amazing. It is. Been to mountains, been to valleys, been to rivers, been to many countries in the line of duty. And yet, we forget that in God's mind, that land is actually supposed to have a purpose, okay? So let's say they take and they block it off and, you know, they let wildlife run there and especially wildlife that might be killed off otherwise. And, and, and of course, when they, when they have those refuges, they have to control the prey and the, and the predator, the balance between it or one or the other overruns it. So even when you do that, you've got to give it the value test. But I want you to narrow down with me for a minute as if you were uh, walking out in the front yard or backyard, side yard, or, or whatever, wherever you live, and you looked at a piece of land and you go, okay, what value is this land? Not what can I get for it necessarily. Okay, I get that. And, you know, if someone says buy real estate, they're not making any more of it. The old phrase that's, you know, years and years and decades old. But I'm saying to you in this aspect, we should give things value tests. Now in business, it's called ROI, return on investment. On a balance sheet, you look at your profit. When you're selling stuff, you look at the profit margin. For example, uh, some things have a much higher profit margin. You take in the restaurant business, especially like, you know, everyday restaurants, not necessarily high-end, expensive, that kind of thing. Um, you take, what, what, is, what do the eggs cost me and what do I sell them for? Okay, that's why, that's why that there's been so much money made just on soft drinks because proportionately those fountain drinks for what they can charge for them doesn't cost them that much to make. And same thing, say, with things like coffee and tea, depending return on investment. Now, God is in business, not necessarily like we think. For example, the Lord Jesus Christ said when he was in the temple at 12 years old and his mother was rebuking him, he said, mother, I must be about my father's business. Oh, brother, cowboy preacher, brother Wood used to say the church is the only business That'll stay in business as long as it stays out of business. And I would say this, 
the Christian's business is such that he can only stay in the father's business when he stays out of business when it comes to the world. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't balance budgets and, and have all that. I'm saying there's a higher value test. Okay, higher. So you picture that uh, something, let's say someone has a, and you've driven by them, I'm sure. Maybe not if you live right in the heart of a city, but you've seen a rolling estate with, say, a well-sized house and, you know, the front gate and the driveway and just acres and acres of land rolling out there, freshly, cleanly mowed and manicured. And you say to yourself, okay, there's no livestock there. That land's not being used for anything. And then someone else might say, yes, but I like it. It brings me personal gratification. Okay, fine. But let's fast forward a little bit and take time ahead and life is over and you're a Christian and you stand before what is plainly taught in the New Testament, a time called the judgment seat of Christ where individually I'll stand before God. And I will give account of my life, of my time, of my treasure, of my talent, of what I did with the temple being my body. So God may say to me, Michael, you had this and this and this, and it required <coughs> this amount of money. It required this amount of time. It required this amount of effort, use of your body, etc. What return did it get for me? Now, I'm not going to turn to all the passages. You know the passages where the Lord Jesus Christ would issue talents in one case, for example. A talent is not just the ability. We still call it a talent because you turn that talent into money. The talent was a stewardship, was money. And he sent him out and he said, do something with it. So, and hold on here a minute. The point is more personal, more earthy. Have you ever asked yourself, like gone through the house or gone through the yard or go through everything and say, I need to put this to the value test. And I'm not saying no recreation. I'm not saying no pleasure. I'm not saying no stuff. That's totally between you and God. But house and land and vehicles and equipment and maintenance and mowing and painting and repairs. What value do you get in return for the cost Financially, for the time, for the effort, and for the lost opportunities. And so someone says, well, it brings me comfort. Okay, that's between you and God. Or privacy, or maybe security, or status. Maybe a sense of accomplishment, or success, or pleasure, or recreation. I mean, there's people that have, you know, five acres, and they run some cattle on it, and, you know, try to turn a couple dollars just for that. The answers aren't something I can give you, and I'm not going to attempt to. The answers are between you and the Lord, okay? But the questions are mine to ask. And I'm just going to talk about three things. And I'm talking about applying the value test. <clears throat> the first one is time. I'm going to make a statement. Time is not money. You have heard all your life, many of you, time is money, time is money. Okay, that phrase came out of certain occupations in which time could equate to money because of what the money they could produce. But for most of us, time is not money. I, I'm going to use some simple little illustrations. 
And it doesn't mean you shouldn't drive your car, your truck, or whatever through a car wash. But driving it through the car wash and paying your 10, 15, 20 bucks is not going to make you make more money. It doesn't. Time does not always equate to money. Paying someone else won't put more money in your pocket. It usually puts it in their pocket. Now, that doesn't mean you, you should, you know, never make use of people's services. Service industry makes the world go round. I know a fellow personally that uh, job situation changed. He was pretty much, you'd say, an executive, a manager, a high-level manager, and some things went, went different. The company sold out, the, given the severance and all that. He and his wife, his wife also very skilled at the corporate level, and they got to crunch the numbers. You know what he ended up doing? He ended up changing what he did. And I mean, these, these are high earners. They're not just like, you know, hand to mouth. And he did more. He saved more by working remotely and from home. This is before the pandemic. So that they didn't have to spend 20 plus thousand on daycare every year. Okay. I'm not offering you solutions. I'm trying to get you to picture a big picture with me. The big picture of your time. What are we talking about? The value test. What value is this thing? What value is this uh, activity? What value is this possession? You know, there's a lot of times I do things myself because it requires me to do something physically extra. Now, I, I, I admit, I think of this all the time. Get, get you a $20 bill. If you got one on, you get you a Ben, a hundred. And lay that dollar that out or take a dollar bill. The, the question used to be, how many times can you spend that dollar? You can spend it once. Okay? So, when I do things for myself, I picture this principle. Ready? I picture that I'm actually doubling my money if I don't pay somebody else to do it. Now look, there's things I'm not capable of doing. And there's things I've tried to learn to do and I just not I just haven't got them. I can do a lot of carpenter work. I've done electrical work. The other day I had a mechanical situation and I was like, you know what? You're going to end up spending more money doing it if you don't. You say, well, it cost a bit. It did. But I had enough sense to know I couldn't do it myself. Even if I got out the old Google and all that and YouTube. Take that dollar, that 20, that 100, and look at it. And a fellow said this, the fastest way to double your money is by folding it over and putting it in your pocket. <laughs> you say, well, I didn't double it. I just, I still have what I, yeah, but, but wait. Instead of spending the 100, you put it back in your pocket. So in reality, you doubled it. Now, I know you're just folding it over, and that's what he meant by doubling it. But you are, in a sense. Time is not money. So here's what I'm saying about your time. What do you spend your time on? Do you know where your time goes? Dear friend, there's 24 hours in a day. If your average work day, including whatever, commuting, etc., getting ready, is about 10 hours, we'll say. For some of us, it's more. Then that leaves you 14 hours a day. Let's say you get a full night's rest. Let's say you get eight hours a day. And that's good. That leaves you six hours a day 
We're not going to count weekends right now. Five days a week. That's 30 hours a week. 30 hours a week. You say, well, some of it's spent on hygiene, you know, this and that. That's fine. But it's 30 hours a week. That's not counting your Saturday and Sunday. Point is, have you put the value test to what you do with your time? Time is not money. It's more precious than money. But it doesn't always equate to money. When you pay somebody to do something, it might save you time. But you know you can't save up time. You get 24 hours a day. You get 24 hours tomorrow. You got to make use of it. You can save it up for eternity, which you know that's what we're referring to. For, for example, do you give people your time? Do you gift them your time? Now, wait. I want to address this. Not do you let them take your time. Many people are really bad about letting people take their time. And they condition people to expect that they can take their time. It might just be taking your time by just talking, 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 talking your ear off. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? Be rude? You can be tactful. Now, if it ends up having to be, you know, a little bit of a confrontation, that's their fault for not having any common sense, not yours. Now, people will tell you, I'm, I'm known for giving my time. I do. I'll engage somebody in a conversation. I'll listen. I'll help. But I'm not going to let them take my time. Because that's like stealing. Because when I put the value test to it, I want to be able to say, well, Lord, that was a good use of my time. Now, there's three things here. I'm going to give you the three so you'll understand where we're going with this. Remember, we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ at the end of the, end of the day, end of the way, being the ultimate test for us, the judgment seat of Christ. When God Almighty looks at us individually, says, okay, now, now listen, he said, whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto men, Colossians 3. So he counts everything. He counts if you're mowing the lawn, if you're doing dishes, if you're whatever, sweeping, if, if you're helping somebody, he counts it. Time is not money, things are not the measure, and your temple, my temple, is not mine. Those three things, T&Ms. All right, so the second one is, things are not the measure. Now, you know the passage, I'm sure you do, many of you do. If not, I'd like, you know, write it down and mark it. The Lord Jesus Christ had a fellow come to him, and he said, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? He said, that's, some, that's a civil matter. But then he said, oh, don't you wish that they had this verse over the desk of every place where they read a last will and testament and the people would listen. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Time is not money, and things are not the measure. Listen, it don't matter how old you are, toys are toys. You ever seen a child's room, and they had toys that didn't matter if they bought them at Goodwill or the thrift shop or brand new or whatever? They get toys, and the toys end up all over the place. And you got to work hard, and you ought to, to teach that child to put their own toys up. Don't keep doing it for mother. You're not helping that child later and you're definitely not helping anyone that they might be a spouse to, husband or wife. 
I, I can remember being shocked. All right, I grew up, I just had brothers. One was two years short and, uh, younger than me, and the other was 13 years younger. I can remember I was shocked when I had this night work that I did, and it was assignments doing going through a, a dormitory when people were out at class and stuff, and sometimes we had to do the female dormitory while they were in class. And I was shocked at how untidy it was. I was shocked. I don't know why. I just assumed that boys had to really work at not being sloppy and girls were going to be, you know, tidy. I don't know why, but it was, it was an eye-opener. Toys are toys, and you're going to end up just like that child's room, but there's going to be more money sitting around on the floor or on the shelves or whatever. You say, well, people have these love languages. That's true. They do. And some of them are things, gifts. But you can learn the Bible language and correct your vocabulary and your enunciation in life. Things are not the measure. Now, I appreciate good things. I appreciate simplicity also. I've been around and seen the, the extravagance of people and and how it never actually satisfied them. Now remember, this is just one simple thing, the value test. What value will this have in eternity? Now don't diminish, listen, don't diminish doing things with young people and children. Don't diminish helping someone else. Don't diminish recreation. It has its value, it does. I've had a chance to talk to people about their heart, mind, soul, their dedication to God, many a time doing something that would be considered recreation. But at the same time, I had to ask myself each time, or I do, because I think the Bible tells me to, what's the value test here? Time isn't money. Time is time. It's more precious than money. What are you doing with your time? Things are not the measure. Go through, go through and say, you know what? This, this is not worth what it's costing me. You've heard me say this before. I was doing a seminar once and it was at a place that made high end and boats and stuff. And <clears throat> one fellow asked that, how much does that boat cost? He said, that's not the question. The question you need to ask is how much will it cost me to keep it? One fellow said, boat stands for B-O-A-T, bust out another thousand. <laughs> and the idea is that if you do that and God tells you to, amen, that's fine. No one's, I'm not your judge, never going to be, thankfully, and you're not mine. But the value test, three, thirdly, 1 Corinthians 6. By the way, that passage was Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Luke 12, 15. I don't know that I announced it when I turned to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians 6. We're going to tie this together. Now, 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 15, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he that which is joined to an harlot is one body, for two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Now, I'll tell you why Paul wrote this stuff several places. He had to write it because that is how the Gentiles are. They're no, noted for it all. I mean, it's, it's just as common as can be. And so we have to preach it. Every sin that a man doeth 
is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So verse 19, watch. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Now, the passage is not just about fornication. A friendship with the world is enmity against God. The references abound. We're going to look at another one, 2 Corinthians. But here's what he's trying to tell them. Verse 20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to him. That's a possessive. Judy apostrophe S. So, who did Paul write this to? You say, well, he wrote it to the Corinthians. I'm amazed. I am, I'm going to have quick parentheses here. I am amazed at people. Paul wrote these two long books. I mean, two, he wrote passage after passage to these Corinthians. And people act like there was nothing good about them. All they were was carnal, blah, blah, blah. Have you not read this passage? These passages, these two books of your Bible? These two books of your Bible are loaded with stuff about the gifts they had, the knowledge they had. He did address the thing that was going to hurt them at the judgment seat of Christ, the value test. And that is they needed to deal with their own life. They had great qualities, but they were living their own life. They were living like they belonged to themselves. 2 Corinthians 6. That was their... So that what, what was true of the Corinthians could be true of any Christian nowadays, especially because the world is bombarding. The temple is not mine. This body's not mine. I'm amazed how you can get people who want to look good to get supplements and do this and that. But if you just made the appeal that it's for God, they have a hard time. There's some things that people are, you might say, addicted to. Can't, and I just can't quit. I really want it. La, da, da. Okay, fine. But if you're a Christian, a pra- <coughs> excuse me, a practicing Christian, and you said to yourself, this temple's not mine. I wonder how God wants me to use it. I'll give you an illustration. A lot of people think you go and rent a vehicle and they treat it horribly. Well, it's not mine. I'm going to turn it in when I'm done. You do what you want. I've always believed, and maybe I was taught that way and even subconsciously didn't know it before I even came to Christ. But you don't treat somebody else's stuff that way. You treat it much better than your own and return it better than you found it. Well, the temple is not mine. So I should do my best to try to get some sleep. I should do my best to put stuff into it that'll work. I I didn't say become a fanatic. In fact, you won't be a fanatic if you do that. Because he also said that all things were given to you to give thanks for. And you won't miss being a missionary or whatever because you've got to stay home and have your, you know, your health food supplements that you can't get on the other side of the world. You'll go and you'll do what you can. But if you're conscious that the temple's not yours, then you ask the value test. He said in verse 14, I was going to read verse 16, let's pick up verse 14. But uh, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? 
And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. He's quoting that Old Testament. The one passage for sure is, is over there in Leviticus. Okay. Verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now watch. There's a practical statement. Better than just a doctrinal statement. It's practical. And will be a father, capital F unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And he goes on to say, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, etc., etc. The temple is not mine. Our subject today, the value test. The value test. It's, uh, it's uh, Saturday morning. And on a Saturday morning, you could easily, April 9th, you could easily just slow down today, set aside some time today and tomorrow, and walk through the house, walk through the yard, walk through your life, Look at your time, set out to, to watch things, look through your budget and say, I'm going to give it the value test. Time isn't money. It is more precious than that. Things are not the measure and the temple is not mine. And I pray you'll slow down. Maybe even now if you have the time, you slow down, give this thing some thought, see what God might say to you. Father, we pray you use these words and thoughts. We ask you to do it as only you can. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Amen. God bless you.